Hello, I'm John Eldridge, and welcome to the Ransomed Heart audio podcast. For more information on Ransomed Heart Ministries, our resources, and events, please visit us online at www.ransomedheart.com. Friends, welcome back. John Eldridge here, Craig McConnell, sitting in the studio this morning, just reflecting on the power of of, uh, this uh, series that we've been doing for a while now on the assumptions Jesus makes about life. And... um, yeah, we've just been kind of trying to sort through, you know, what, what are some of the core assumptions Jesus holds about things, you know, life and God and happiness and the future and people and gender and sex and justice? Because as Peter said to Jesus, you alone have the words of life. I mean, if we if we could begin to hold for ourselves the assumptions Jesus holds, I think it's going to really orient our lives and it really heal our lives in ways that they really need orienting and healing. And as a comment that you made, Craig, at the beginning of the series, you were saying, look, you know, um, you can devote your life to causes that, frankly, Christ isn't really all that concerned about, you know, fighting secondhand smoke, you know, while they may be important issues. Okay, hang on, hang on. Um, While they may be important issues, let's just... Let's just make sure that these are things that are important to Jesus because he's life and in him alone is life. And um, and we want our assumptions and our lives and our priorities and values to, to reflect his. Um, so two weeks ago, um, we did a show on the inherent evil of man right. as an assumption of Christ. He would not entrust himself to man for he knew it was in man. And then last week, we tried to extend the, the, the high wire artist's balancing beam out to the other side to say, yeah, but at the same time, Jesus says there's nothing in all of the universe that has the value as a human being has um, because we bear the image of God and nothing else in creation does. You know, and, and I hope you begin to see some of the implications of this. You know, these, these kinds of assumptions affect the way you parent. They affect the way you do friendship. They affect where you invest your money and what you think is valuable in the world. They affect the way you relate to people, to yourself. Uh, um, and and uh, I just want to go on with a few more assumptions this week that I think will help fill out uh, core assumptions <laughs> In fact, can I just tell you a funny story? This morning I was praying about this and asking Jesus, so what are the assumptions Mm -hmm. that you make about people? And I could almost hear him sort of chuckle for a moment. And he said, oh, many. (laughs) (laughs) So in humility, I need to say we're not going to hit them all, gang. We're trying to hit a few that seem core. Um, I want to come to one that I think will help further unpack how Jesus sees people and therefore what we mean is the Bible, God. How does God see people? If we can get the convictions of Jesus, you can get the convictions of the Father and of all Scripture, by the way. Okay, so this conviction comes from John chapter 7. Um, and and Jesus has gone to um, the feast in Jerusalem, and he's had several days of um, kind of ducking and dodging and debate and confrontation. And then it says this, on the last and greatest day of the feast, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, so this is his final 
his final statement. You know, he's had several days of debate about the Sabbath, uh, the value of human beings, his own identity, the place of the law. But this is the last and greatest day and this is the last thing Jesus is going to say at this particular feast. He stands up and he says this in a loud voice, which is interesting. Is he, is he kind of done? Is he fed up? Is he trying to overrule all the the chaos and the debate and just say, hey, look, let me just make one thing clear. Yeah. You know, he says, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Hmm. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. And this is just um, three chapters after the account of the woman at the well. And, and I think John's doing that very intentionally, by the way. He, he's picking up again with the theme of thirst. And, and in the interaction with the woman at the well, on a very personal level, she's just saying, look, anybody who drinks this water, you're going to be thirsty again. But if you drink the water that I give you, you're going to be satisfied in ways you, you just never knew were even possible. And he's talking to a very thirsty woman right, who's gone through multiple relationships, clearly looking for something she's not finding on a human level. And then he stands up and he does this for the entire crowd in a more public setting in John 7. So I just want to point out the assumption that Jesus is making here is that people are thirsty. You're nodding. You're smiling. Yeah, I am. Um I just don't want to jump the gun here. I'm thinking going all over the place. Well, go for it. <laughs> You've written about this in one of, I think, one of your um, best books, John, Desire. Um, we as humans are just at the core, just longing beings, uh, just desire yeah. is who and what we are. Yes. And, um, so, yeah, Jesus recognizes, assumes this, and relates to us as people with profound and governing longings mm. and desires. Mm. It's huge, gang, because, again, the world kind of wants to make a couple assumptions and say we're primarily rational beings. Now, that's pretty much a modern era thing, and it goes all the way back to the Greeks, and I realize a lot of Postmoderns don't hold that anymore, but it's still pretty big in the culture that we are primarily rational beings. You know, we we go to seminars, we we download apps, we read the news, we listen to podcasts, we look for content. You know, and 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 you hear you know the appeal that whether it's a professor or a politician or a pastor makes to people to change, they try and make those appeals based on reason, on, you know, let me present the data to you. But yes. I think that's an incredibly naive view of people. People aren't primarily rational. They're primarily thirsty. And, and this is one of the interesting things about this to me is, is um, we generally think of man as good. Um, we don't see the evil. And then as Christians, uh, we misidentify the evil. Mm. And where we think mm. evil abides is in the, in the arena of longings and desires. And it, actually, it's uh, our longings and desires that is one aspect of what it means to be human that despite the um, immense devastation of the fall and sin upon us, um, remains true <laughs> that 
ultimately, despite all our sin and our evil, there are these deepest, truest governing longings that guide us mm. for life, mm. for intimacy, mm. for meaning, for impact. And they still, in some form or fashion, abide, exist. Yes. And I mean, it's through that crack in the door, longings or thirst, that Christ comes and appeals to us. Yes. I mean, it's through thirst, through longings, that Christ makes the appeal of a his life, salvation. I mean, he's, he assumes that it's through longings that our rescue will be possible. And yes. yes, yes, that's so good. Let me try and put a few of these thoughts together now. A couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, man, it's the fundamental issue that's a bigger problem, you know, regarding people is not brokenness, but sin. Now apply that to this, that what we're talking about is that every human being has an incredible capacity and longing, therefore, for love, for joy, for life, for happiness. This is an assumption Jesus makes about people. You are profoundly thirsty. And then what you do with that thirst is a really important category in Scripture. You know, that um, that what you essentially have is people going about every day seeking life apart from God. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's the issue. It's not it's not the particular, you know, you could just point to the blatant, you know, man who's visiting prostitutes and just say, golly, that's just that's just so obviously wrong. Yes. You know. But the woman that's turning to the opinion of her friends and just hanging on what people think about her, it's just as wrong. Right. It's just as wrong. In the sense of, you know, we did a thing on ethics a little earlier, so I'll, I'll come back to that. But um, it's just as wrong in the sense of she's looking for life there instead of from God, mm-hmm. you know. And this is a really, really, really core assumption about people in Scripture. You are looking for life and you're looking for life apart from God. Mm-hmm. And if you just want to understand your children, your neighbors, yourself, if you want to understand you know, nations and kingdoms and movements. Understand this. There's this incredible, driving, almost overwhelming desire, longing, capacity for life. And by that life in all its fullness, not just in your next breath, not just that you continue to have a pulse, but love, joy, happiness, you know, meaning, uh, satisfaction, peace, all that, that whole package that we just call longing for life. You long for life. Mm-hmm. This is an assumption Jesus makes, and um, you're looking for it everywhere but in God Yeah, is another assumption that he holds. Yeah. Two of the um, kind of synonyms for sin that, that we often use that I think are really helpful is, um, at least to me, uh, when you get down to the baseline of what my truest and deepest desires are, um, they're, they're godly desires. They're longings and thirst for what God intends and designed um, and created me to have and to enjoy and to experience. What sin is best described as, in my mind, is either um, trying to manage a little bit of pleasure and happiness apart from God, trying to construct a life that has meaning apart from God, even right. though I may profess him. Right. Or the other 
kind of picture of sin is just that spiritual adultery of just just pursuing some other source, some other lover. It's not God. It's, you know, I've uh, created a a lover of my own making. Yes. But the desires are good. Yes, yes. Okay, so this is going to really help you, friends. I'm trying to to try and connect some dots here in several podcasts, you know, because we talked about in the first one, well, wow, what do you mean people are basically evil? Like we just saw incredible generosity here in, in Colorado Springs and the wildfires in June that, you know, the people showing up to help at the horse shelters and the evacuation of animals and offering housing and food. And they finally had to tell people, stop bringing food, water, blankets and stuff to the to the shelters. We don't need your help anymore. I mean, so there was this incredible generosity. My neighbors have shown it. Um, my neighbors have been incredibly generous people towards us, you know, fixing things that were broken, watching over our place when we were gone, taking care of pets, all of that. Incredibly generous. And you go, well, wait a second. I, but listen, this will help you understand what we mean by these issues. The first command is to love God with all of your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. All right. And so and that command comes before thou shalt not murder. Mm hmm. And thou shalt not commit adultery and thou shalt not steal. All right. So you have to understand that the quote good person who volunteers at the soup kitchen and is very conscientious about their carbon footprint, you know, and drives an electric vehicle or rides their bike to work and celebrates Earth Day and all of these things, good things, good things. They're generous with their money. The good person who doesn't love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength, friends, do you understand that they're not a good person, like not in the things that matter most? I mean, if you are looking for life apart from God, Mm -hmm. this is what Jesus showed the rich young ruler. Rich young ruler says, oh, I've kept all the commandments. And Jesus is like, really? Well, then why don't you just sell everything you have and give it to the poor? And the man was devastated because while on many areas of his life, he looked like such a good person yes. in the core issue of have no idols, have no other gods before me, look to me for life is another way of saying this. He wasn't. He's was looking to his money for life and all that his money could secure him. You know, it's not just the money. It's what money can get you, you know, right? right? It can get you protection. It can buy you love. It can buy you peace and these other things, happiness and this sort of thing. So, friends, is this helping to kind of put some things together for you that you're a longing being and and where you take those longings is, is a core, core issue, right? Looking for life apart from God and, and the invitation that Jesus makes is bring your thirsty hearts to me. Bring your thirsty hearts to me. But but please don't kid yourself that, you know, your neighbor that leads the Boy Scout troop and, you know, volunteers in the clothing drives every year at church, that, that those things are pick a uni compared to the deeper issues of what do you love and where are you looking for life? You know, and so that helps to kind of tie some of these issues together of sort of core assumptions about human beings. Now, I want to want to add one more um, because this may be the last podcast we do uh, on Jesus's assumptions about people. But we have to come back to brokenness and sin Mm -hmm. and the differences between these things that brokenness is an issue that Jesus looks upon with great compassion. You know, you take the woman caught in adultery. 
you know, and, and here you have two issues going on. You have one massive public humiliation, shame, embarrassment, and all that comes with it, guilt, loathing, self-contempt, the hatred of others. You have that and you have the fact that she was caught in adultery, okay, sin. Um, and Jesus is immensely compassionate and he speaks to both. He speaks to both and he says, um, where are your accusers? You, you recall the story. You know, he says, let he who's without sin among you cast the first stone and in a beautiful, beautiful passage that just lets you know how true the Bible is as a book. It says that the older ones left first, yeah. <laughs> the people that had lived more life, that knew themselves a little better than the younger zealots, you know, they dropped their stones and walked away first. But anyway, everybody eventually walks away and and uh, and Jesus says to her, where are your accusers? And And she says, they... They are all gone. Jesus says, then neither do I condemn you. Okay? So it's just beautiful. He speaks, he speaks straight to shame, exposure, you know, just her self-loathing, contempt, the contempt of the community. He speaks to all of that. And then he says, go and sin no more. Right. <laughs> he says both. He says both. And, you know, sin and brokenness are not the same thing. You know, brokenness, the boy that is raped by his father over the course of several years has deep brokenness in his soul and he may go on to struggle with sexual issues himself, um, homosexuality, pornography. He may even go on to become an abuser himself. Um, those kinds of patterns um, you have brokenness there. You have assault done to the human soul, which Jesus offers to heal. I've come to heal the broken hearted. Okay. So Jesus takes human brokenness very seriously. He sees all of us as broken people. We are all broken. Mm -hmm. I hope that's an assumption that you hold when you're having dinner with someone or going to a you know, family reunion or just clocking into work every day. Everyone around me is broken. Jesus also sees us as sinful people, and, and that's different. That's not the same thing as brokenness. You know, sin are the choices that we make to look for life apart from God, even to look for the healing of our brokenness yes. apart from God, you know. And of the two, Jesus sees sin as the more devastating because he knows that until you deal with that, you can never really heal the human soul. Okay? So, but they are different. They're not the same issue. Both are true. And both are addressed in the Gospels, right? Forgiveness for your sins, holiness imparted to you by the Spirit of God, genuine repentance, and the healing of your broken heart. You know, Psalm 23, he restores my soul. God wants to do both. But I think in our day and age, you know, the fact is most of the culture at least thinks that brokenness is the only issue. It's just brokenness, you know, and, it, and it's very, very difficult to address this in this kind of culture because it's a very therapeutic culture. You want to say, well, that that little boy that's you know, acting out in school, he just has psychological problems and he needs to see the therapist. Well, that may be true, 
But there are also simply discipline issues that need to be brought in. It's not just brokenness. Or we even do this with systems. You know, we say, well, it's just a broken system. You know, there's just we need to fix the way that corporations run. You know, sin is institutional. No, no, sin is actually an issue in the heart of man. And until you address that, you're not going to fix those institutions. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, John, I, um, I think when you're working with people and following Jesus's model, um, what you're going to find, what we found, is that um, um, when you get beneath the sinful behaviors, disappointing relationships and issues and annoying things about people that uh, you have to work on both levels. You have to deal with their brokenness. Usually it's been caused by other people's sin. Right. And their brokenness, which helps explain their sin. Yep. Uh, You've got to deal with both. But but it's a it's a distinction that Christ makes in his choice of words and describing us and the problem, that there's both sin and deep and profound brokenness, that if you listen to a person's story, understand them, understand that these two things are going on with longings, you can offer, I think, real healing like Christ. Absolutely. Right. Don't forget thirst. Don't forget the inherent value of a human being Yes, and understanding their value, understanding their thirst, understand that they're broken and sinful, both, and and that you can't get resolution to the sin unless you deal with the brokenness and you can't get resolution to the brokenness unless you deal with the sin. And so Jesus deals with both. Again, you know, coming back to the woman at the well, right? I mean – she is on her fifth relationship, and, and I mean, in that culture, in that day and age, that'll get you stoned. You know, I mean, that this is bad stuff. You know, we we kind of look at that these days and go, well, pff, take a number. You know, that's any Hollywood movie star. You know, half of um, Washington. But but in that day and age, this is a very big issue. It's why she comes to the well in the middle of the day to draw water because no one will find her there. You know, she doesn't have to face the community. Um, and notice how Christ deals with her. You know, he speaks to both her thirst. Yes. He speaks to where she's been looking to meet that thirst. He speaks to her sin, right? And he invites her to himself. So he doesn't he doesn't downplay her thirst. He doesn't downplay her brokenness. And he doesn't downplay her sin. You know, these, these things are all core assumptions, and, 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 oh my goodness, this will really help you, friends. Yes. I mean, this will help you in understanding yourself and the change, the changes that you want to see in life. It'll help you understand the people you live with, the people you work with, your, your church, the world. It'll help you interpret the news as you read the news. What are the assumptions that you make about people? And, and, and are they the same assumptions that Jesus makes about people? And do they carry the same weight that Jesus gives them? Because, again, I want to say, if you look at Scripture, you know, the the weight that Jesus gives to issues like um, racism and gender oppression, he doesn't consider those things to be nearly as serious as your sin mm-hmm. or your brokenness. Mm-hmm. He's compassionate. He's loving. He's firm. You know, but he wants to get to the real issues here. And, and uh, man, our culture, the world is trying to, you know, address 
things that are frankly more symptoms of human brokenness and sin than actual the causes, the sin and the brokenness itself and, and the profound longings beneath all of it, longings that were intended to drive us to God. Again, I mean, wow, we could go on and on. Um, are you loving this? Oh, there's uh, for every topic we address, there's two more I want to talk about. Yeah. We need to talk more about that one. <laughs> yes. So we're going to wrap up today. Yes. Uh, But we invite you to come back and continue on with us uh, in our series, How Did Jesus Look at Life? And we're going to press into some other things. You know, we'll look at creation, we'll look at issues of gender and sex and issues of justice, um, things like community, the future, assumptions that I think you're really going to enjoy. So thanks for joining us. You've been listening to the Ransom Tart Podcast. I'm John Eldridge with Craig McConnell. For more, please come to our website at ransomtart.com. Or join us on Facebook. You know, I think I'm feeling what I think they will feel, and it's a good thing. Just I want to say more, and they're going to want to hear more, and I think that's good. I mean, we're not going to say it all. I think it just – I think this just salts the oats for people. I want more of this. Yes, and therefore dive into the Gospels and begin looking at, yeah, what are the assumptions Jesus makes about stuff? Yes. Yeah.